0: Uh, another great interview to uh, to have here on the show tonight. Our friend Dan Clayton, who is a contributor for Salt City Hoops, follows the Utah Jazz very closely, and uh, joins us now. And uh, Dan, thanks for spending some time with us. I know tonight we've got a Jazz game going on that you're going to be paying very close attention to, but appreciate you uh, squeezing us in for a little bit.
1: Of course, it's always fun to uh, talk to my pals up there in beautiful Cache Valley.
0: This Jazz team, I know a lot of Jazz fans are hopping up and down, they're they're finding the panic button and they're hitting it quite hard. I mean, this is a team that's lost six of their last eight and they really haven't been very competitive in those six losses. Right. Should we be panicked or is this just, hey, teams have slumps, they go through this, the Jazz have gone through this before, they've still been okay?
1: So I still think the Jazz are a good team that's having a bad stretch, but we're definitely past the point where we can sugarcoat it and and pretend that they're not playing really poorly right now. Um, you know, to your point, it's it's not just that they're 2 and 6 in the last eight, it's the fact that um, you know, I think I think people expected them to struggle going into Milwaukee, going into Toronto, going into Indiana, some of the tough places they played on on that road trip there towards the end of November going into early December, but it's the fact that now they're coming home, they're facing Lottery teams like, you know, Monday night they faced Oklahoma City, who is a sub-500 team who was down two starters and playing on a back-to-back. And even then, the Jazz looked like the team that was stuck in mud and, and you know, really struggled to keep pace with a team that's not going to make the playoffs this year. So I think that's the stuff that is, that is frustrating for people. You know, the Jazz have not beat a team that currently has a winning record since November 12th. So we're talking about a month now. Um, that the Jazz haven't beat anybody that you can really hang your hat and say wow, that's a a game that a contender should win.
0: So, when looking at what's going on here some of the comments after the Oklahoma City game were that, oh, we're just teams are being more physical against us than we're used to. We're not handling that well. Uh, There was a stretch there whenever Rudy Gobert would go to the bench, teams would flip a switch and attack the basket and the Jazz couldn't stop them. But This team is, by and large, healthy. I mean, Mike Connelly notwithstanding. So some of the things that seem to be problematic for the Jazz haven't historically been problematic for the Jazz. (laughs) Did they just miss Derek Favors and Jay Crowder, guys like that, more than we realize? I
1: mean, you know, there's something to be said for what those guys brought um, in some of the intangible departments. I I think, look... What Boyan Bogdanovich is adding to the Jazz right now from an offensive standpoint—he's struggling, he's in a slump. But I mean, you know, what he adds in general to the Utah Jazz, I think outweighs some of what you lose with a with a Jay Crowder type, and even some of what you lose with Favors. I mean, Favors was unique because he was the Jazz's starting forward, but he was also you know, the guy gobbling up pretty much all of those backup center minutes behind Rudy Gobert. So a little different case there. But my I guess my broader point here is just that um you know, the Jazz have a talented roster. They lost some talented guys, but they did that last off season so that they could add guys like Mike Conley, guys like Boyan Bogdanovich. I don't I don't know that they can point to oh, Crowder's gone, oh, Favors has gone, oh, Rubio's gone as an excuse. The whole point of their offseason priorities was to go out and upgrade those rotation spots, and I think they did. Um, Now, it cost them a little bit of depth on the back end of the rotation, and that's part of the issue that we're seeing now is that the Jazz are having to throw more minutes out of necessity to guys who probably, if we're honest about it, are like fringe rotation quality at best, right? Like Emmanuel Moutier has never in his NBA career played winning basketball um, over a long period of time. And now he's Utah's like ninth man, right? George Mm -hmm. Nyang, probably a fringe rotation guy, meaning, you know, some nights he's going to look helpful, some nights he's not. Now he's the Jazz's 10th man and and seeing semi-meaningful minutes. So I think that that's part of the issue is that the Jazz did have to downgrade call it spots seven through 15 in order to upgrade spots one through six on their roster to the degree that they did. And I I think ultimately they'll figure that out. But right now there is definitely a big letdown as soon as they really go to their bench at all, or or really go past Joe Ingalls on their bench because the Jazz have a very solid front six. And then they have a bunch of guys who are either struggling or who really have never been all that great in the NBA to begin with.
0: This is also roster. We were talking about this a little bit earlier that, yeah, Boyan Bogdanovich was called on to pretty much carry the Pacers for a good chunk of the season a year ago. Mike Connolly had to carry the, the Grizzlies for a good chunk of the season a year ago. Uh, and even to some degree, Moudier was the offensive the offensive weapon that the Knicks had. Uh, now you've cobbled them all together and you're asking them to play team ball. Is this point of the season guys starting to settle back into old habits? Could that be part of what's going on?
1: You know, I don't... I don't think so with with the starting group or with that core six group. Um, I do think that when the bench comes in, there's a little bit of my turn, your turn offense being played. You know, you, you're right. Conley and Bogey um, really had central roles on their teams last year, but they're high IQ basketball players. They're guys who wanted to be in this situation because they wanted to be surrounded by other threats. They wanted to play with a spread floor and a balanced attack. But then, yeah, what happens is you go to the bench and and you do you you have some players who maybe don't have the the same ability to really make the defense react in, in you know in, in terms of playing system ball. So what they do instead is they play a little bit of head down isolation basketball. And you know I I think that's what the Jazz have seen a lot of out of Emmanuel Moutier. And for the first seven or eight games of the season, he was doing well, and so everybody was celebrating that. Well, for the last month, it really hasn't gone that well for the Jazz. And the problem when you have a player like that, especially at point guard, is that, you know, again, if he's making those shots, it's great. If he's missing them, then now nobody else is getting involved in your offense, and suddenly you have guys like Joe Ingles who are really talented basketball players who are slumping because they're just not seeing the ball in in the spots and in the situations where they're used to seeing the ball. So I think that bench rotation is going to be something that Quinn Snyder is going to have to continue to solve and figure out how the Jazz can continue to look like the Jazz even when some of those main six guys guys need to need to take a rest and you're relying for a few minutes on Moutier and on Jeff Green and Ed Davis and and Niang and and Dante Exum.
0: So I wanted to talk about Exum with the way you're describing Moutier and how maybe he is not really helping the team so much in the team ball. Is the gap between him and Exum then so great that they that Quinn Snyder can't say, Moudier, you got to sit down. You're not doing it right. Exum's got to get in there and do the what we need him to do. This seems like we've given a lot of time and patience for Exum, but he's still getting beat out on minutes played by pretty wide margins.
1: You know, I'll be honest with you, Eric, this is one that continues to puzzle me. Um, I know Exum has looked very rusty. Um, You know, he's only played 11 games, I think, since returning from this latest round of injury, this time a a patellar tendon in his knee, um, a different knee from the previous ACL surgery. But, you know, he's, he's working his way back to rhythm, and that's obvious. He does not look great when he puts the ball on the floor and tries to finish himself. But for me, this issue of why are the Jazz continuing to give Emmanuel Moutier such a long leash when they have a player like Exum who, even when he's rusty, just does some things naturally that would help the second unit, right? Like, Exum is a player who, because of his speed with the ball, he can cause the defense to react to him, and that's something that the second unit isn't getting enough of. And he's also, obviously, we've we've all known since his rookie season, Exum is also a superior on-ball defender, or at least can be a superior all-ball on-ball defender when he's playing well. So for me, the answer to that question, Eric, I'm way past the point where I would be throwing more of those minutes Exum's way, as opposed to Moutier, who, who like I say, I, I think... Can be useful as a situational scorer, as a guy who can come in and kind of bulldog his way to a couple buckets sometimes when you need them. But in terms of someone to actually run some pick and roll and, and guard the other team, um, you know, th- another ingredient in Monday's loss that I don't think has been discussed enough is how Dennis Schroeder of OKC just went off for about a four-minute period of, in the third quarter of that game while OKC was pulling away with a 19-4 to four run. Schroeder had 12 of those 19 points, and it was pretty much all while Emmanuel Moutier was primarily guarding him, and, and also while they were forcing switches to get George Nying switched out onto him. So basically, OKC found a weakness in the Jazz's defensive armor, and and that's what I'm talking about. Like I, I just, I just don't know how they can continue to let those things happen, to watch those things happen, and not say to themselves, "Hey, maybe we should give this guy a try." Who, you know, is struggling right now. Exum is struggling. There's no way around that. But he's someone who historically has been able to frustrate multiple league MVPs with his defensive prowess on the perimeter. Why not give that guy a shot at, at getting a little bit of that feel for the game back? And, and instead, he's someone who literally has stepped on the court in the second half of games twice in the last 10 Jazz games um, outside of garbage time. They're just not using him in the second halves of games at all. And, and I continue to just find that weird, especially given the fact that some of his strengths seem naturally to match up with what the second unit needs more of. Sorry, that was a long answer. Yeah no, it was great. That's, but, that's, but that's one that's been, you know, Almost literally keeping me up at night. I, I don't know why we haven't seen the minute allocation go that direction. Um, you know, Moutier has been having a, a rough few weeks here.
0: Again, we're talking to Dan Clayton with Salt City Hoops, and uh, before I let you go, the uh, do you think the Jazz are, are, are players in the in the early trade market to try to shift things up a little bit with their with their bench?
1: I don't think they will be a big player. No, just because they don't really have the the salaries and assets to piece together for a trade. They're they're obviously not going to trade Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. Um, they're not going to trade guys they just got in Bogey and Conley. Um, so really, you know, their their tradable assets are pretty limited. They also traded some picks out to bring Conley last offseason. So now they're restricted in terms of um you know there are rules in the NBA about not trading away first rounders in consecutive years. So that really limits them in terms of their ability to use draft assets to bring players back because of all of that. I think if they make a trade, it'll be something a lot more minor, like, you know, maybe trading their eighth man for another team's 11th man or something crazy like that. Um, what I do think that they will, that they will try to do, I, I think that they intentionally sign some of these end of bench guys, um, to, co- to contracts with partial guarantees because they do expect to be players or at least to want to be players in the buyout market when some veterans maybe get shaken loose, um, you know, around the middle of the season.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. Well, Dan, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we could work you into the, into the show tonight and appreciate your time. We know you've got a jazz game you're going to be following tonight and uh, appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for us tonight.
1: Yeah, of course.